are in this book here. It's uh, the joy of a word-filled family, and John has kicked off the first part of it, the last three or four sessions, with a word-filled life, and he's going to wrap that up here tonight. We lacked a few pages in the book, so he's going to wrap that up, and then we're going to go into a word-filled marriage. Who is married tonight? Anybody married out there? Okay. All right. So, uh, man, get your pen ready. <laughs> I'm messing with you. Hopefully a lot of you have books. But how many would believe your marriage could be better? Amen. Amen. It's, uh, definitely there's always room for some growth, right? <laughs> always room for... Uh, it's, all, it's the other person that needs it, right? <laughs> no, no, I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. All right, Brother John, God bless you. I'm going to let you go before I get in trouble. <laughs> Clean and sober one year today, and it's all due to the Lord, and I just wanted to take the time to just give him glory for that, and thank him for that, that, and for everybody that prayed, thank you so much, I mean, this is just the proof of the power of prayer, not only is he clean and sober, but he's serving God now, and he's so on fire for the Lord. Yes, hallelujah. Pastor and I were talking about that a couple of weeks ago, how, how, how changed he is in, in the godly input that he puts into conversations and stuff now. It's just what a transformation. Hallelujah. Well, wonderful job, Lisa. That was fantastic. Thank you. And welcome, everybody. Welcome, you guys. Nice to see you here. So... Last week, we left off with just a couple questions and uh, a little bit about Mark to cover before uh, Pastor takes us off into the next section. So, recapping the last part of, uh, of, the, of last week was that talk about are we too busy, how Satan influences our lives, and the two main points from that were Satan tries to make it so that we have little time for our God and little time for our families because we're so busy. And the second was that we have no time to tell each other or to tell others about the power and saving grace of Jesus Christ. We're always too busy. Too busy, too busy, too busy. So, moving into the last part about Mark. Mark wrote, wonderful, wonderful book in the Bible. Part of the Gospels. To understand him a little bit better, we see that in Acts 12, 24, it says, But the word of God grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. On page 68, we see that Mark, he got to walk, talk, sleep, eat, share every day with Paul and Barnabas. How strong 
that would be for any of us. Can any of us imagine being with somebody like Paul? And the, 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 the spirit coming off of him, the, the, the just light you up with Holy Spirit, just uh, to be in with him, ministering with him, seeing the healing, seeing everything that was done, to be a part of that. And then we see that Mark got to witness the power of God firsthand. Mark's eyes probably got bigger and bigger while traveling with these two giants of faith. Those two who were afraid of nothing. He was privileged to have been with them and to see and experience everything that those two did. And then we see that Mark got to witness the discipling of the governor. But after that, the fourth part is when Mark bailed out and went home. It says, Paul had his eyes set on getting to the heart of the Roman Empire. They settled in Perga for a little while and then prepared to set off on a walk up the mighty Roman road to the heights of Pisidia. But something sad happened. Mark departed from them to return to Jerusalem. Now, we have to ask, why in the midst of something so powerful would he decide to up and go home? His decision to leave is hard to understand because he had everything going for him. He walked among the giants, experienced God's power firsthand, was led to the Lord by Peter, was discipled by Barnabas and, and, and Paul. But in spite of all this, of all these privileges, he still quit. Perhaps Mark felt it was too tough or too uncomfortable or too dangerous. We don't know. But what we do know is that he quit. He literally went back to Mama, packed up his stuff and left, back to safety, back to comfort, back to what he was used to. Mark's quitting split the greatest evangelistic team in history. Barnabas and Paul separated after this point. It was a sad chapter in church history when word of the split spread. Neither Paul nor Barnabas was criticized. Instead, Mark was branded as Mark the quitter, Mark the fearful, Mark the failure. I don't know how far along some of you are in your ministries, but I'm sure there's points where we felt like we either failed ourselves or, more importantly, worst of all, we felt like we failed God. Some years later, it was Mark who became Peter's personal helper. He went back to the one who had led him to Christ and became the servant who, as inspired by God's Spirit, captured the words of Peter, those beautiful and unforgettable portraits of Christ in the Gospel of Mark. During this time that Mark was alive, a man named Nero was emperor of Rome, and he hated Christians. We're on page 71, second paragraph down. The hatred and evils of Nero had led to random acts of fierce persecution of Christians. 
Believers were killed in the arenas and in the prisons across the city of Rome. Entertaining his dinner guests, Nero would have the believers of Jesus dipped in tar and burned alive. Have you ever pondered how hard it must be, must have been, to be a Christian during that time? But Mark boldly recorded the words of Peter to the Romans, proclaiming Jesus the servant Savior. Times are getting a little tougher now for Christians. The world doesn't like us so much. They don't like truth being told. It was very hard during Mark's time too. It's getting harder in our time. Are we going to quit and run back home to Mama? Or are we going to keep speaking the truth? Mark branded as a failure, quitter, and fearful wove together Peter's eyewitness accounts and the Holy Spirit's revelations into a fabric that portrays Jesus as the one who suffered and triumphed for us. Through Christ's power, we, were, we who are his can experience triumph and suffer, suffering as well. Even when times of failure come, we can respond like Paul. Each of us can likewise achieve wondrous things for God's glory if we will go on allowing him to forgive us and go on allowing him to take our weaknesses and failures and make us portraits of his grace. So many times, even in my own life, I got wrapped up in my mistakes and my failures and my shortcomings and forgot that it was God who can set me free and move me forward from all of my mistakes in the past. But so many times we get so hung up on that we did something wrong, that we can't, we're not good enough, we're not worthy. We have to let go of our own self-condemnation and let God do what he does. So we see that as God used Mark to write such a wonderful book of the Bible, God wants to use ordinary people like us. God wants to use those who have failed. He wants to use young people as well as older people. God wants to use our weaknesses to show his grace. So, question number four says, Each of us can achieve wondrous things for God's glory if we allow him to forgive us and allow him to take our weaknesses and failures. And that was on page 72. And on page 74, question number five. God wants to take people and make them portraits of his grace. So that wraps up Mark, and now it's pastor's turn. But just the, the key things to take away from Mark was that he had something so good, was part of something so awesome, yet fled and went back home. But God still took him and used him for wondrous, wondrous things. So welcome 
Pastor David. Amen. What, a, what an awesome uh, job he's done on this, I'm telling you. How many want to have a word-filled life? Amen. Amen. It starts there, doesn't it? It starts with us as individuals. And then we move into the second part. Once God brings that special person into your life, you are all fixed and ready to go, right? So marriage should be easy, right? <laughs> Two parties blending together. So that's kind of where we're at in this study is we started it. And I, and I love John MacArthur. He's done an excellent job on this book. It's a book that I wish every church had the opportunity to take, especially their young married classes uh, through. Uh, I think we'd see some great, strong foundations. Amen. So, again, a word-filled life. And we uh, love what, you know, how many know if, if, Mark, if Mark could uh, overcome all of his obstacles and his failures and mistakes, there's hope for us, right? I'm glad that our past doesn't have to determine our future. Amen? Anybody in here failed besides me? You know, we're going into marriage. I've had a failed marriage. So, again, and I know he has some harsh, pretty strong words in here that it is a covenant that you make for life. So, again, I think we're going to see a lot of, of good things here in this next uh, phase or this next part of this book. So, chapter 6 is where we're heading. And I love the, the thing that it says here, and I totally agree. How many of you caught that? There's no greater partnership than marriage. Would we agree? It's a covenant that we make with someone that we have chosen to spend the rest of our lives with. So there is no greater partnership than that. And God sanctioned marriage. He's blessed it. He instituted it, uh, starting in Genesis chapter 2, where a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And we're going to look at a lot of scripture here. And I actually ran off tonight and got here a little earlier and had a whole bunch of scriptures on a piece of paper that Bev usually throws up on the overhead. So we're going to go with the scriptures in the book tonight, but most of them were already in the, in the book. So no greater partnership. Anybody ever been in a partnership deal before and got burned? Yeah, it, it, uh, I learned that lesson at, at, I think I was 15 years old. Me and a friend, we had started a gospel band and we decided to buy a a uh, custom, I believe it was, PA system, Brother Terry. You remember those? With the, with the roll, tuck and roll thing, two little, uh, I think, 12-inch speakers in it with a, with a PA head with four ch- <laughs> Yeah, there you go. They still survive. That's right. That's right. But uh, we bought that, and uh, we, I think our payment was $16 a month. He owed $8 a month. I owed $8 a month. Now, we're sitting here today going, $8, man, that's a Coke and a bag of chips, right? Just about nowadays. But back then, uh, you could buy five Cokes and five Snicker bars for a dollar, okay? So that was a long time ago. A dollar would buy you a lot. I, uh, again, I, I, would, I would do that. Mom would give me a dollar a week, and I'd stop at the store and spend a dime on a Snicker, get to the Coke machine, 10-cent Coke. So for a whole week... I had my Coke and my 
snicker. But anyway, back to the partnership. We bought that. We. <laughs> it's terrible being old, right? You think of all these these stories. But anyway, uh, uh, we bought that together. We made three payments together, and he bailed on me. <laughs> he quit making his payments. So that that was a lesson learned very early in life to have it all spelled out, right? If you do, I'm not saying that every partnership is bad, but be careful. And again, even the marriage partnership, well, you you stand up here and you make some vows to each other, don't you? And it it is a covenant. We're going to be looking at that some tonight. He starts this chapter with a story about his five-year-old son. We won't take time to read that. I'm sure most of you have already read it, but I just want to go right on into God's blueprint for marriage. I'll get someone to hand out uh, these. Does everybody already have one? Okay. Anybody not have one? A study guide? Right over here. Corey. You're going to hand Jeff one too over there. There we go. Anybody else? All right. Hopefully I have the answer sheet here too, right? Aha! There it is. Okay. So as we go through here, we'll we'll fill in some of these blanks, but... uh, the blueprint for marriage, there's, there's four basic scriptures uh, from God's Word. There's one in the Old Testament and then three more in the New Testament. We're going to look at those tonight. If I can get Bev to maybe pull those up. Genesis 2, verse 24. Take her just a second to get those since I... Oh, it did? Okay. All right. Then we'll go old school. I know what it says, pretty much, or if if I don't, I'll get y'all to read it. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. That's the first one in the Old Testament. And that was actually before the fall. Will we agree? When does the fall occur in the Bible? The next chapter. Genesis 3. All right. Y'all giving me that cow look tonight. (laughs) Cleave. Uh, that's a cleave. That's a cleaver. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got you. I like that. Yeah, we're gonna find out what cleave actually means here in this chapter. But thanks, thanks for your input there, Jonathan. And maybe that's what it is. You, every good marriage needs a cleaver. <laughs> Just, we're getting crazy in here now, aren't we? But anyway, uh, the first chapter is Genesis two. Somebody. Uh, Lisa, you grab uh, Matthew 19.5. John Boyle, grab Mark 10.7 and 8. Uh, Pam and Terry, one of y'all, Ephesians 5.31. In the book, it only gives that one verse, but I want to go on through verse 33. 31 through 33. So, Matthew 19, verse 5. Lisa, you already had enough time? You're quick. Okay, really basically quoting Genesis 2, 24, all right? And then uh, the next one was John, what was that? It was Mark 10, 7 and 8. So both Matthew and Mark quote Genesis, don't they? Basically. And then this last one that Terry or Pam's going to read, it's a little, it's, it's not the same, okay? Ephesians 5, 31.
Okay, there we go. The four, this is the four primary scriptures about marriage, one in the Old and three in the New Testament. And there's going to be a lot more stuff that we're going to find out in the next chapter under the 11. I think there's 11 points regarding uh, a man. There's, there's some things for the man to do in the marriage relationship. The Matthew verse uh, is Matthew 19, verse 5. Let me run through those. On your, it's the first one on your handout, too, everybody. So question number one, God states his mandate for marriage four times. Please give the scriptures Genesis 2, 24, Matthew 19, 5, Mark 10, 7 through 8, and Ephesians 5, 31 through 33. So he pretty well spells it out here that uh, they become what? One flesh the merging of two lives the union of two lives into one life it isn't it interesting that god knew that even a perfect man couldn't be satisfied by work alone he you know and he's he's made all of this stuff in genesis chapter 1 he's getting into chapter 2 and it says that now <laughs> i don't know how to put this i don't want to hurt any ladies feelings tonight Man didn't say he was lonely. God saw <laughs> that he was lonely, right? And God saw that man was lonely, and he needed a what? A helpmate, a helper, someone to come alongside of him. So then, you know, to get back even, he, he made woman, or wow, man, wow, man. Aren't, aren't women so much more beautiful than guys? <laughs> Celebrate, ladies. Come on. Yeah. And, and again, Bev and I was watching a movie the other night, and we use the word handsome, don't we, for guys. But do you realize that back in the 1800s, they used the word handsome for ladies? Crazy, huh? I was watching a Western, and it said something about, she is so handsome. I was like, wow, that's messed up. But then sure enough, that's kind of the way it was, was back then. So, so God saw he saw the other creatures that he had made and they had companionship they were you know uh, together and so he said i'm going to make him a helpmate and so he took something uh not from his head to be lorded over not from his feet to be trampled on but from his side to be equal with to be a partner everybody say partner a partner through this game of life. So how many believe God knew what he was doing? Amen. And he set it up so beautiful, man. The Garden of Eden, man, the, the dispensation of innocence was wonderful, was it not? Just everything just going along wonderful. Just go out and pluck some fruit and just eat and all of this. Just everything was, was going along great. And then, man, chapter 3, the devil, the tempter comes along the serpent and begins to tempt man and woman and of course we know we move into a different dispensation there so back to the book here uh, let's see here where we're at a corresponding helper we talked about that but here's what here's the one of the main points I want you to get as we start into this sec second section a man has to choose to walk away from even good and acceptable relationships that have consumed his time and attention and instead here it is 
take on marriage as his primary responsibility. It's going to later say as his primary ministry. I messed up my first marriage because I didn't take on my wife as my primary ministry, okay? The church was my primary ministry. And that, again, just, how I many know, I'm just plain old boy here. I tell it like it is. So that's exactly. How many of you know, and it is a ministry, amen? You know, and I've always said, here's the way it should be. Uh, we get it all out of order sometimes. We sometimes put ministry number one and then family. Here's the way it should be. God and our relationship with God should be number one, then our family, then our ministry. Amen? We get that all together. Because, you know, what, what does it profit a man if he was to gain the whole world, you know, and, and lose his family, you know, or lose his own soul? So I think it's very, very important. Marriage is very important, and it's something that it will take some W O. R.K. How many remember the first year of your marriage? <laughs> Was it tough? Was it tough? Blending those two lives into one. You know, well, I, I squeezed the toothpaste this way. Well, yeah, I, I don't like that all over the sink there, you know. I'm OCD or I don't, I don't like it that way. So, again, it, it's adjusting. You know, one leaves his dirty clothes or all over the bathroom and you're like man I'm anyway you understand right it's an adjustment period isn't it as you go through through marriage so we're going to look at this scripture in its full context in Genesis 2 18 through 22 there's we're going to look at five important facts about the marriage relationship let's read it first he said it is not good for the man to be alone I'll make him a helper suitable for him, literally corresponding to. And out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Is it true that women have one more rib than man? I'm not a biologist, but probably so, right? I would guess since he borrowed one from the man, right? So anyway, we won't go there. Number one tonight, uh, the five important facts. God made you incomplete. God created men and women to correspond to each other. We are similar yet so different. Woman is man's completer, not his copy. I like that, don't you? He com she completes him. Wow. The Bible says in one, and I think John used it last week, he that finds a wife finds a what? A good thing. Something beautiful and pleasant and wonderful. So at the bottom of this, in my book, it's page 75, 1 Corinthians 11, 11, and 12 says, Nevertheless, neither man independent of woman nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. So they are 
They complete each other. They're both needed. Amen? Men and women, husband and wife. So number two, God wants to go ahead and complete you. So he made the woman to be man's helper. Uh, and he says there in verse 18, I will make him a helper. We've already talked about that. Number three, God wants to bless you. Hallelujah. Wow. How many like walking in God's blessings? Marriage is a perfect place to see uh, the blessings of God. Bev and I have experienced the blessings of God on our marriage almost, well, in November, it'll be 20 years. So, wow. Give the Lord a hand clap. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. So he made her, the woman, to be a suitable helper. None of the animals could provide the kind of help that man needed. Only woman could do that. If husbands fill their lives with activity and ministry but neglect their primary marriage ministry, there it is again, they are failures in God's eye. And the same hold truths for wives. Who who finds a wife, there it is, finds a good thing. So, uh, again, John talked about that last week. Number four, God has the plan. Well, there are a lot of self-help books written on marriage, how to have a great marriage, but I'm glad this book, you know, again, today I had probably, a, I bet I had 25 scriptures written down for these first two chapters. Of course, left them there at the house, but there, a lot of them are here in the book. But God has the, bless, the best plan because he's the one, again, that instituted it, designed it, sanctioned it, created man and woman. Would he not know what is best? And I still believe firmly, and I say it loudly, marriage is between a man and a woman. Amen. God created it that way. And uh, anything short of that, I don't believe, is, is his perfect will for a person. Any, you know, man or woman. So he, he made man for woman, woman for man. So he had the plan. 1 Peter chapter uh, 3, verse 7. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Now, ladies, don't get mad right here. We're going to explain that in just a second. All right? I don't want to be called weak. <laughs> and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Are women not as strong physically as a man? Is that true? Guys, God made us to be protectors, providers. So that's what that is referring to not lesser in importance okay are you with me but it's mainly in physical ability you know uh, Bev when she needs something done around the house that's beyond her physical capabilities guess who she calls me hey I've got a fruit jar here I can't I can't get the lid off she gets she gets so mad at me I just grab it and she's like how'd you do that I'm a man right <laughs> got a little more a little more strength. So again, God knew what he was doing. He had the plan. And number five, follow the plan and what? Be blessed. Husbands have needs and inadequacies that are only fulfilled by a godly wife. According to the scriptures, the wife was created to fulfill the needs and inadequacies of her husband. She was made to be her husband's unique helper. She is to do him good. This is Proverbs 31, and not evil all the days of her life. So 
That's the first part. Now, this, that on your handout, that's question number two. Did everybody get those? Number one, God made you incomplete. Number two, God wants to complete you. Number three, God wants to bless you. Number four, God has the plan. And number five, follow the plan and be blessed. Everybody get those? If you didn't, we'll get them to you after church. So now we're going to move into the choices. Name the three choices in our primary ministry of marriage. We're going to name them, and then we're going to come back and discuss each one of them. Number one is what? Cut the cord. Cut the cord. That sounds interesting, doesn't it? Number two, cement. I like this. Cement the relationship. And then number three, share the wonder of two being one. Can marriage be beautiful and wonderful and blissful? Amen. It can. It can. Hallelujah. Terry said a big amen. Hallelujah. So, number one, cut the cord. And this will also be part of question number four. So, you can write these in as we go along. Marriage, number one, changes our source of authority. What happens when you get married? You were under the authority and under the roof, probably, of your what? Parents, your mother and father, or maybe you were raised in a single-parent home, but you were under their authority. Now there's a shift that takes place, and again, that scripture, therefore a man shall leave his mother, and what? The cleaver thing, cleave unto his wife. I've seen a lot of counseled couples before where one or the other of the, uh, the parents was too greatly involved, let's put it that way, in the marriage relationship, and it was causing some problems because either the husband or the wife kept wanting to do what mom or dad had told them to do instead of honoring and respecting and cherishing uh, that relationship that was unique. So marriage changes our source of authority. Any comment here on this while we're going along here? We'll uh, let you jump in here. God is good. Amen. Our, yes, it is. Yeah, amen. No longer are they authority for us to follow, but it says they move into wise friends. Wise friends to counsel us and help us. You know, and, and it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. This is the ed essence of an adult relationship with these priceless parents of the family with whom God has chosen to place us. Thus, we should honor them with our words and actions all our days. It, it changes, does it not? We then move to what? Honor and respect for them, but they are no longer the ones in charge of us. Everybody got that? So the authority source changes. Number two, it also changes our source of communication. Our husband and wife should be, as husband and wife, they should be best friends, right? How many of you consider your wife your confidant? Should we say it that way? Your best confidant. You can 
You know, I can talk to Bev about anything. Sometimes I even talk about y'all. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> and she's my, it's better for me to talk to her than go and blab to someone else, right? She, uh, and a lot of times, you know, I'll get through and I'll say, now, you know, I'm just venting, right? <laughs> you know, I'm just, just voicing my frustration here and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, you know. Anyway, but yeah, they, uh, our source of communication even changes. They become our greatest confidant. All plans, all goals, all hopes, all fears. All of life is now shared with our perfect mate who corresponds to us in God's plan. For God says, husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding. First Peter 3, 7, the, the A part of it, the first part. We must never have an attitude toward our husband or wife that reflects a desire to change. I like this. To change them into being more like what our parents want them to be. Anybody ever seen that in your years here upon this earth? And not only that, not only what our parents want us to be, but sometimes the spouse is wanting us to change to be who they want us to be. And that's not good either, is it? It can cause a lot of conflict. You've got to let Pam be who Pam is, and you've got to let Terry be who Terry is, but together, you know, it's kind of an, I call it an inner interdependency. Terry gives Pam room to be the person that God wants her to be, and she gives Terry room to be the man of God that he wants him to be. There you go. If somebody needs changing, then the wife needs to be praying for her husband rather than try to manipulate and change him. And uh, God will go to work on that man and change that man. Yes. Amen. And also, after being married almost 33 years, what we've discovered is that some of the things in the early days that I would have changed about Terry, I found are the strengths that I need. That's and good. vice versa. You know, like yeah. when, in the early days, I was like, oh, I wish he wasn't such a bull in a china closet. But that has come in real handy at times. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it has. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And I, that's good, baby. And, you know, uh, when uh, God, when the glory departed from man, when he fell, you were talking about this in, in the garden. And then it's very, very similar to God taking woman from the man. You could say the glory departed <laughs> from the man. But, uh, a lot of times what we get offended at or we get angry at with our spouse are those very qualities that are missing in us, part of that incompleteness, you know. And she's just bringing those out, and it's easy for a guy to get offended or vice versa when really it's just God saying, hey, this is how I complete you, you know. Good stuff. Good stuff. And the key there, and they mentioned it, was praying for, how many of you pray for your partner? Amen. For God to make them into the man or the woman he wants them to be. Stormy O'Martin, I believe it is, has a book, The Power of a Praying Husband and the Power of a Praying Wife. And there's some great prayers in there to speak and to pray you know, over your husband or wife. So it changes our source of communications. We don't want to try to change them. The orientation has changed. Our parents should not set the direction of our life or our marriage. Okay, number three. Marriage changes our source 
of affirmation. Our helpmate is the one from whom we derive affirmation, approval, and most of all, acceptance and affection. Hubba hubba. Our parents used to be the foundation of all we did, but now our partner for life becomes that all-encompassing friend and what? Completer. Because we are, here it is, right here, I love this scripture. It's the latter part of 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, we are heirs together. Everybody say together. Of the grace of life that our prayers may not be hindered. The marriage relationship is a unique, uh, totally unique relationship of all relationships, is it not? Two people becoming one in the holy bonds of marriage. Any sin of bitterness breeds long-term spiritual illness. It says, look at, and I had this on there, uh, Hebrews, somebody pull up Hebrews, well, here it is. Hebrews 12, 14 says, pursue peace with all people and holiness, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Can that happen in a relationship? Bitterness. Gideon. Something happens and it's not worked out. It's not talked through. And so then it moves from just being unforgiveness or lack of forgiveness uh, into bitterness. And then it just, again, just builds and festers and becomes even more of a problem. So we, we communicate and we reaffirm each other. You know, and, and one thing in, in marriage counseling, if, if uh, I know some of y'all have, have gone through uh, the premarital marriage counseling that we've done here it uh, well maybe maybe not uh any yeah Kara yeah okay that's right Kara did uh we talk about the three c's you know commitment communication and compromise is that important even if you know regardless i mean it's very and there's probably some better c's even than that there's but those are three very very important c's communication and then working towards a compromise. You don't always get your way, do you? No. Oh, you do. Jen says she does. John, have you spoiled her? Sometimes. Okay. All right. Every once in a while, I bet the big boy stands up and no <laughs> says this. Draw the line here, right? So there we go. Cement number two. Let's move on into on, on your handout though. Let's go ahead and grab those really quick. The three choices we've got. Those the marriage changes number one our source of authority, our source of communication, and then lastly our source of affirmation. Uh, number two, cement the relationship. Now that's Jonathan. That's part of that word cleave. Cement, cement. All right, cement the relationship, and he shall cleave. To his wife. God's blueprint for marriage directs husbands and wives to cleave or literally cling to one another. A good marriage is based more on commitment than feeling or mere attraction. And he quotes a scripture there, Malachi 2, Proverbs 2 17. I had those on the, the list. Uh, it's an irrevocable covenant or contract. And he even goes so far as to say divorce is not an option in this covenant. Amen. Now, if you're here tonight, is anybody here in this room besides me that have, that have gone through a divorce in your life? All right. Okay. There's a lot of us. It's, uh, there's a lot of blended families now, aren't there? You know, it would have been better, but how many of you know we, we are not perfect human beings? So we're not going to live 
in the condemnation. You know, some people almost look at it as the unpardonable sin. I can't find that anywhere in the, in the Bible, can you? That it's the unpardonable sin. You know, a lot of times we marry too young. You know, I was 18 years old, you know, type, type thing. And, uh, and that, can, that can sometimes, uh, we're not really even uh, fully mature enough to even be in a marriage relationship. But there's a lot of other things, you know. There can be uh, uh, some things where there's abuse, you know, verbally, physically, a lot of different things going on there. So, again, if you've gone through a divorce, don't, don't, we don't want you to leave here feeling beat up. Amen. God loves you. You made a mistake. We repented. God, I'm in another marriage relationship. It is a covenant. I'm going to do my best to make it work. You know, that's the thing about marriage. It takes two to make it work, doesn't it? And when those two are loving God and loving each other, it's beautiful. And it's wonderful. So, again, number two. In this scripture here, it's the wife promises that she will be faithful. They're in the vows, right? And then the husband, number two, he promises that he will be faithful. Now, I kind of like, let's back up on number one. It says, even if the husband, I like this, has bulges, baldness, bunions, and bifocals. <laughs> I like that. You're still got to love him, right? Even with those bunions and bifocals. And, and then the woman, even if she loses her beauty and appeal, even if she's not as neat and tidy or as submissive as he would like her to be, even if she does not satisfy his sexual desires completely, even if she spends more money foolishly or is a terrible cook, we're still <laughs> hanging in there, right? Hanging in there. And... Yep. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff is single over here. He said he's not looking for <laughs> any of those qualities. All right. So, uh, number three, both the husband and the wife promise to accept full responsibility for their relationship. So they commit themselves to each other regardless of what problems that might arise. So I think there was a question here. Maybe it's in the next one. So we're cementing the relation. Every day, you're either putting you're either putting deposits in your relationship or you're making withdrawals. Guys, deposits work better. Okay, that's just a little hint from Pastor here. It's important to to uh, make more deposits than you do withdrawals because if you make too many withdrawals, uh, yeah. You, you, you're gonna. You're not. It's not gonna be nice. Okay. Not gonna be a pretty, pretty thing here. So, uh, all right. Lastly, and we're gonna quit here on this one. Number three, share the wonder of two being one, and they shall become. This is the latter part of that scripture that we started on here. They shall become one flesh. The physical union, the sexual relationship. First Corinthians. <coughs> excuse me. First Corinthians six. 16 says, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. Sex is so much like a river, kept within its appointed banks. It is an unending flow of beautiful refreshment and boundless delights that God totally sanctioned and designed. You allow it to cross over the boundaries 
that God set up, and it devastates, it ruins, and it destroys. Sexual relations are holy, good, beautiful, within the bounds of marriage. However, here's question number five. Sexual activities of any kind outside of the marriage bond become distortions from God's plan. Do we agree on that? And thus sinful in his sight. It's not okay to have several women and guys, ladies, it's not okay to have several men. Are you with me? God wanted the two to become one. So we're about to finish this chapter. There's one more question. We're going to wrap this first chapter up. Number six, if we faithfully make marriage our primary ministry, there we are one more time. How many know you're in ministry? If you're married, say, I'm in ministry. That's your congregation right there. Joe's, <laughs> Angie, there, yeah, <laughs> yeah, whoa, yeah, you got a hard congregation, right? <laughs> there we go, messing with you. If we faithfully make marriage our primary ministry, we will reap God's blessings on this special high calling. It is a calling, is it not, for our lives. Does God love marriage? Amen. And he blesses it and just in so many ways. Uh, and I want to close this tonight. I know we've gone over a little bit. My youth pastor, uh, when I pastored in Hobbs, he was my actually my cousin. But uh, I had the privilege of joining him uh, to this young lady from Albuquerque, New Mexico. She was a few years younger than Kevin. And I had the awesome privilege of joining them in, in marriage back, uh, I th it's been over 30 years. I'm going to say around 32, 32 years uh, ago. And he just recently... It wasn't even a special day, but he put something on Facebook that just really, I just like, man, I tied a good knot on that one, I'm telling you. I tied a good knot. And here's, here's a little bit of it here. I won't read the whole thing. Kimberly, my beautiful, angelic wife, who is the most caring, compassionate, loving person I know. She cares so deeply for her family and friends. She is so pure in her character, so steady in her faith towards God, smart, Hardworking and always says yes when our children need her help. Always puts others' needs before herself. She never tells lies. Never looks for bad in people, but always looks for the best. She's incredible, relatable, comforting, soft, warm, and sure. She can cook the most amazing meals. She's fun to be with. She plays outdoor sports. She doesn't gossip. She won't repeat or talk bad about anyone. She's forgiving. And it goes on, oops, I lost it there. Uh, something about you can't get anything by her. <laughs> but, uh, and, and as I think of Kimberly, so true. But here he goes, he goes on. He, she's my rock, the glue that holds our family together. Her faith is big, audacious, bold. She'll ask God for things, and he will answer. She'll tell you she's God's favorite <laughs> and make you believe it. <laughs> Funny, isn't it? Uh, I never knew I could love someone this much until I met her, but now I never want to live without her. She's my soulmate, the one that makes my heart joyful when she whispers to me in her sexy voice that no one ever hears but me. I know her so well. I love her so completely. Her eyes are so loving and beautiful. Her smile warms my heart. She makes me a better person. I am stronger 
because she is by my side. She is the wind that lifts me, a peaceful, comfortable place. She makes me feel so wealthy, so alive, so blessed. She is my love. She is my life. She is all of these things, and I thank God she is my wife. Yes, I love her. I love her. I love her. Isn't that, isn't that powerful? Just, you know, 32 years, and they, they've been blessed with, I think, six children, and now already have starting to get some, some grandchildren. Just a beautiful, isn't that just a beautiful picture of what a true godly marriage can be like? Let's stand together. Praise God. Lord, we thank you for, for marriage. Lord God, as we mentioned at the start of this, some of us have failed in that area in our lives, Lord, but I thank you for forgiveness. Your grace is sufficient, Lord, and I thank you for the, for the beauty of this holy institution, Lord, that you blessed and sanctioned. Lord, I pray over our marriages, Lord, here at the house, Lord, as I do so many mornings, Lord, I, when I, especially when I know a, a couple is going through some tests or going through some trials and things that are the enemy's trying to uh, chip away at their marriage, Lord. I thank you that they are strengthened tonight, Lord. They are strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. I just thank you, Lord, and praise you for all of our couples, Lord, and for even the singles that are that are that are here, Lord God, as well. It's not. I know this particular area is about marriage, but God, thank you for for every person, Lord, here at the house. We bless them. And we thank you. They're all part of our family. Lord, they're a great big family that you've put together, part of the kingdom of God. So we speak blessings, favor, and increase, Lord, on marriages tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. It's here. You can go ahead and, you can go ahead and cut that off. Uh, Bob Hayes, uh, his father.